With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how You played yourself and got voted out This is why Blank lost And this is why Blank lost Oh baby, this is why Blank lost Welcome to this week's edition of Why Blank Lost. I'm Jessica Lewis and my co-host, David Bloomberg, who, um, you know, usually opens the podcast, appears to be missing again this week. Not really sure what's happening. So, hey, (laughs) David, where the hell were you? (laughs) What is happening? I was was very confused. Hey, what's going on? Where were you? Well, you know, last last week I had the spy couch and uh, this week I decided since the, the spy nest returned for Tony and it worked that I would find that try that. So I was I was up in my spy nest. <laughs> <laughs> the the spy couch had a little more of a um, mm, I don't know. There was something a little more secretive about it because it's unexpected. No one expects you to be coming out of a couch, but coming down from a tree. Maybe. I mean, you know, what am I even doing with a tree in my basement? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But welcome. Welcome to yes. this week's edition of Why Blank Lost. And oh, here you thanks. are. Thanks. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I did want to note since my shirt was available, well, uh, available, since it was visible on uh, my way down there. This is another Eric Reichenbach drawing. It is from David's versus Goliath. So I'm wearing it in honor of Nick being voted out this week. Nick mm-hmm. is, um, he's around here somewhere. There he is. There um, he is. <laughs> uh, and of course, I had to get it uh, when it came out because it says the Davids. Mm, on it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also, as you saw, as I was getting down, I'm wearing pants this week. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Listen, I, I didn't know that you weren't wearing pants when we did the podcast. So I, this is I'm not saying me. either way. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just saying previously you could only see the top half of me. So who knows? Right. Good to know. Good to know. You are fully clothed today. Yes. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners are very happy about that yes. as well. <laughs> now, Listen. If you hadn't been wearing pants and came out of your spy nest, that would have been a serious problem for our show. So we might not have been asked back. I'm just saying. Yeah. 
have to have a whole different rating on uh, YouTube there. <laughs> yes, for sure. That wouldn't have been good. My mother yeah. would have been a little offended, I think. Yeah. Maybe just a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of your mother, happy Mother's Day to you and your mom and all the other moms out there. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there as well. Because um, even though this is likely going to come out on Monday. It maybe could come out on Mother's Day. Who it knows? could come out on Mother's Day. So a Mother's Day gift. There you are. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember when CBS used to air the Survivor finale on Sunday. Yes, I and do. And it was often on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to Rob's Amazon finale and I think one other on Mother's Day weekend. Nice. I, I definitely had some making up to do at home after those. Yeah, I could see. But, you know, she's not your mother, right? <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> Try telling her that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yes, I could see why that would upset her just a little bit since she's the mother of your children and all. There's that. So, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, well, tomorrow is also my daughter's birthday or Sunday. So Mother's Day and uh, my daughter's birthday are on the same day this year. Oh, so you give her gifts and she gives you gifts. Basically, yeah, that's what's going to happen. So it'll be a nice day. Well, happy birthday to her. Yes. She's turning 17. Insane. I know. It's very scary. Very scary. And she keeps reminding me how much closer she is to being 18, which means then she could be on Survivor. So there's that conversation that's happening. That's right. The new Will Wall. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Who knows? It'll be interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, enough, enough shenanigans here. Enough mm-hmm. antics. Um, you know, and the listeners who weren't watching it are probably like, I still don't understand what happened. But then again, the people who are watching it may be like, I still don't understand what happened. So that's, that's also true. a possibility. That is definitely true. They might have no idea what just went down. <laughs> well, literally. Um, <laughs> At least you didn't hurt yourself. That would have yeah, been. Yeah, I, I was a little probably. worried about that, you know, coming down and, uh, you know, if if I ended up completely flopping, uh, you know, were we going to keep that version of the video? Were we going to not keep it? Oh, we were going to keep it. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, you know, getting to this week on uh, on Survivor, which is, after all, why we're here. Um, N- Nick, or I'm sorry, neither of us predicted that Nick would be voted out. Mm-hmm. But both of us were half right in saying Jeremy would go first. So we can take some solace in that, I suppose. I suppose we can. Yes. I mean, Which is sad because we both love right. Jeremy, but we understand that it was probably his time to go. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes. Well, it was definitely his time to go, apparently. Yeah, um, really? That's true. <laughs> you know, the question we'll be answering, of course, uh, as always, is why we were right about Jeremy and what happened to Nick, for Nick to go second. As always, we'll do that by comparing their games to the rules I originally wrote way back after season one. I've been modifying ever since, looking at all the non-spoiler information available to us from what we saw on TV, CBS All Access clips, and social media. Uh, reminder to everyone, although, you know, if you haven't checked it out by now, you're probably never going to. Uh, the latest version of the rules is available at robhasawebsite.com slash blog slash survivor rules. Or... You can get the shorter and much more colorful version of the rules in poster form drawn by the same guy who drew this shirt, Eric Reichenbach, uh, at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster 2. There's a big version of that poster. You have a little or well, a normal sized version behind that is the version. Yes, Yes. that you can 
order and put in a frame and it looks fabulous. So mm-hmm. you should definitely order and they are only $20 and we can also ship internationally. Just contact me through Twitter. You can DM me and we can make the arrangements for that. Right. Now we previously announced that just as Rob is donating to direct relief, uh, an organization that provides protective equipment for doctors and nurses, we are donating the proceeds for every poster that we sold in April to the same charity. Rob extended that another week. So we did as well. And now he's gone and extended it to the finale. So what the heck we are too. Right. Uh, so it's one more week for all you extreme procrastinators, (laughs) hurry up and get it now. (laughs) Again, that's tinyurl.com slash David rules poster too. Yes. Um, now there's also, uh, you probably know this by now, but there's also another way to get the rules. So you could always have them with you and that's in t-shirt form. Uh, see, there's a t-shirt of this, there's this t-shirt, there's all sorts of t-shirts here. Um, but this is ours. Uh, just go to robhaswebsite.com or robhaspodcast.com. Click the merch link near the top, uh, sort the store. So the new items are first and this will be right there. Uh, we have it in both men's and women's T-shirts. Very exciting. Indeed. Yes. So uh, before we get to the rules, we mentioned last week that we will once again have a postseason Q&A podcast about a week after our finale podcast. We've already gotten some questions. So start, you know, everybody out there, start thinking about what you want to ask and feel free to shoot them to us. Um, I almost answered one on Twitter uh, the other day, I saw a question come in that asked about, you know, uh, certain things. And I almost responded. I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's probably a question for the Q&A podcast. <laughs> if it's not, they're sitting there going, why didn't they respond to me? They favorited right. this. You know. <laughs> um, You're just ignoring but, them. It's yeah. so mean. Uh, now, um, moving from that on to, you know, the, the actual podcast again. Uh, one topic I feel we have to address before we get to Jeremy and Nick is the disadvantage. It mm. seems like the producers heard our complaints about the prior disadvantage and went back in time to make this one a little bit better because, you know, people out there have heard me gripe plenty about how uh, I'll call them former players because they're out of the game. Uh, on the edge shouldn't be affecting the game by doing things like sending the disadvantage they sent to Tony a couple weeks ago. Right. Now we said at the time that it, at least if it was played by somebody actually in the game, there would be potential consequences. They'd have to make decisions, things like that. So it is indeed better that this was played by someone in the game. Yes. Of course it still came from the edge. So that's a problem. And you know, he had to, reach out to try and gather the fire tokens, um, which was demanded by the people on the edge, the person on the edge. Uh, But I could at least see this sort of thing making a return in future seasons Mm -hmm. where someone just finds it and then has to pay a set number of tokens to use it. Yes. The only real issue that I have with it is the fact that Ben had no idea if it came from someone on the edge or mm-hmm. if it came from someone who he was playing the game with. And right. that was the part that I really was bothered with the most, because I do think that it could have had the desired effect if Ben knew that it was absolutely from one of the people he was playing with. And right. it wasn't just from someone on the edge sending it to him. So I, I think clarification should have been provided there. So Ben would have known 
that this was being played against him by one of the people who is playing the game with you right now, not yes. someone over there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Of course, on a future season without the edge, uh, you know, that won't be a question. Right. But yes, I totally agree that it should have been made clear. Hey, someone from here in this group in front of you mm-hmm. played that. On. Right. I, that was the one really big missing component. And I don't think that there was enough emphasis put on it by the person who played it, you know, to mm-hmm. really kind of dig well, it in a little into, bit. I know. Into. I know. That I'm sorry. Into. Jumping. Ahead. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you get me fired up about edge stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and people say I'm the one who gets fired up about edge stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't know. Yeah. I keep getting blamed for this and you're just as much. Well, maybe I, almost. Much I mind. really am because I do appreciate the idea of it. And being someone who is in the game, what do you want more than anything is an opportunity to get back in the game. 100%. So when you're out there, that's where your mind is at. You're hoping that there will be a sign at the edge of the, the walkway that you're, mm-hmm. that you're going down that says, Hey, you've got a chance to get back in. But I, I have serious concerns and we've already voiced those a lot. So I won't go down that path again, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yes, uh, we can. We can. uh, Anyone who wants to hear what your concerns are, we can send them a whole list of podcasts where those Mm. might have been discussed. Um, Probably right around the end of Edge of Extinction uh, that season. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that season. (laughs) And someone who we're going to be talking about, Jeremy, did not want to see the Edge come back. That was one of the big things in his pregame interviews that he did not want to see. So I think it's interesting that now yeah. he's is on the edge. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the rules. Uh, we were just talking about the disadvantage played by Nick. Did that come back to bite him because Michelle ended up winning immunity or was he already in trouble and just didn't know it? The same question about being in trouble can be applied to Jeremy one vote earlier. How did he become the biggest target in the game for several weeks now? And why did Tony finally turn on him? It's time mm-hmm. to figure out why Jeremy and Nick lost. The first and most important rule talks about the need to scheme and plot. And both Jeremy and Nick know how crucial this is. We saw both of them strategizing often. And Nick said in pregame interviews that he even started before the season, coming in, having an alliance with Yule and Michelle. I was doubtful about how well such a pregame alliance would work. Uh, We talked about that in our preseason podcasts. But for Nick, it ended up about as close to perfect as it could have been. He was immediately in the majority on his original tribe, and he stayed that way on his swap tribe, putting him into a a secure position until the merge. Now, unfortunately for him at that point, things shifted and he found himself uh, on what Tony would call the fringes, but that didn't stop him as he was doing everything he could to both stick around and try to get himself into a better position going forward. The thing that I kept forgetting about Nick was that he did have a pregame alliance with Michelle. Like I, mm-hmm. I kept forgetting that and until like I would look at some interviews and think, oh, that's right. Michelle was part of that pregame alliance, too. I don't feel like he really utilized Michelle to the full potential he could have. Although coming into the game with pregame alliances, as we've discussed sometimes blows up in your face and doesn't work very well as we saw with the poker alliance that people thought existed. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he was able to not call attention to it, pretty significant and impressive. The fact that he was able to pull it off. That's also very impressive. So I do think that it did benefit him to get him along further in the game, 
but I just it, it didn't seem to be as emphasized as some of the other duos that we've seen throughout the season. So he was able to use it, but also kind of keep it under wraps at the same time. Well, I think part of that is it's hard for the producers to explain why are these two together? So, oh, for you know, sure. A duo. Um, I mean, as it was, it was when they voted out Yule. <laughs> there was really never any explanation as to how Michelle suddenly moved into that group. Right. You know, yeah. and there's never been any explanation as to why these two keep coming back to each other to work together. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and that does make it difficult for the producers. So yeah, I don't know how much better he could have, to use your term used her you know they they Mm -hmm. work together and and uh um yeah i I think it i think it worked out like i said i mean the main thing i i feel like you want with a pregame alliance is immediate safety for sure Mm -hmm. and it certainly worked for him and you know we're not talking about her yet but it definitely worked for her because she was on the minority in that swap tribe and yet she went along right and i do think part of nick's pregame strategy included this idea that alliances really aren't going to last that long anyway. So Mm -hmm. there's more of a willingness to shift and move, which we saw Nick doing quite a bit. He never really seemed to be locked into any one particular faction. And he was even kind of annoying people by doing it because he was trying to see what everybody was doing. And people were catching on to that, that he was playing both sides and that he was, you know, a little bit sneaky. So I think that he had that plan going in and was able to execute that as well as part of his strategy yeah i i think he knew he had to get himself into a more solid group i think a lot of that moving around was just because he couldn't get a stable footing Mm. um you know and he did use different situations to try to get in there you know in the chaos preceding adam getting voted out he wanted to take control and he was one of the people who helped start that chaos so he brought up other names like sophie yeah, that had the effect of both protecting him and also potentially putting him into an alliance that he could move forward with. And then as things progressed, it seemed like he had done a good job going from being a potential target to being part of the group deciding the vote. Mm-hmm. It just seems like he was never really a solid member so much as he was used by Tony and Sarah oh, while sure. Tony considered him a hyena to Tony's lion. Right. And I agree because I do think that his biggest problem was his willingness to go along with other people instead of trying to determine what would be best for him with the group of people that he wants to play the game with. I mean, he kept going back to Tony, going back to Sarah. And instead of looking at the other people who are over here that he's voted with that he strategized with mm-hmm. and saying you know what if i want to take control of this game which he was saying in multiple confessionals that he's trying to figure out how to get him into the final three how to win this game then he really needed to start looking at the big picture and not just these people that he's been working with kind of and these people he's been working with kind of over here he really did need to kind of grab onto a solid group when the numbers really started getting down to get more of that foothold and to actually stay in the game. Because yeah, I mean, he, he really was just an additional number for either side. Yeah. I think the problem was, I, I think he was looking at the big picture just differently. I, I, cause really the only group that stayed solid, Tony, Sarah, Ben, that's mm. the only group that has stayed Absolutely solid. Everything else has been going back and forth. Right. 
And so it, it's hard to say, you know, and I, I think he was trying to get in there so he could flip on them. But but that's yeah, the problem. You right. know, he's trying to get in there, but then he's flipping, you know, so you're you're only going to be able to do that so many times unless you're Tony and you're just a magician I don't, you know, I mean, before someone's going to start getting frustrated with you. And it's it's something it's it is a theme that we have seen time and time again. And I understand that there is this belief that that this is a, a fluid game and alliances are always shifting. But I've heard it said I heard I've heard it when I was out there. Flippers never win. And I know that a lot of people say it and it depends on how you do it. But if you are looked upon as a flipper, even if you're somebody like a Tony who's managing to do it in a beautiful way that is not frustrating people, if you do it in a more obvious way, like the way Nick was doing it, it doesn't bode well for your game because that's the way you'll be viewed by the jury. And they will look at you and say, well, you, of course you were always on the right side of the votes because you were always just flipping back and forth wherever the votes were. So you don't really get credit for that because those weren't your moves. You were just going along with the group. And so it's, it's a very difficult thing to pull off unless you are the person kind of controlling everything. And then you can be flipping back and forth, but you've got to be in control. And Nick just wasn't in control. And I think he was trying to be in control. I think he wanted to get himself in a position where he could be in control. Mm. Um, but he just never found that position. Right. Yeah. right. And I think it was it was a little too late because if if you want to really lock yourself in mm-hmm. to have control, you've got to start early and then build upon that. And he wasn't doing that. He had Ewell. He had Michelle. But he, I just don't think that he was using those individuals to his benefit, the way that Tony was using Sarah, Sarah's using Tony in order to get themselves further in the game and well, finding I mean, someone yeah. like a Ben. Well, part of it was just where you end up in the merge. Oh, you know, for sure. he ended yeah. up outside the numbers, whereas Tony ended up in the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he was just constantly scrambling to try to make his way to the top. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't. Right. Um, you know, and I think Jeremy was in a similar situation. Um, he kept thinking Tony was a solid ally, but Tony was just using him. You mm-hmm. know, Jeremy was doing everything he could to str- strategically to keep himself in the game. But every time he would make a plan, his plan would get foiled. You know, he, he started off on a bad note with Natalie getting booted. Then he pulled himself into what seemed like a good alliance with other new schoolers on the, his original tribe. But once he got to the merge, he kept trying to make moves. Uh, as he said, I want to drive this thing, but I don't want everybody else to know I'm driving this thing. Right. But people kept realizing and taking the wheel from him. Yes. Uh, you know, he he wanted to bring in Wendell and vote out Nick. Well, that didn't work for him. He he still had his alliance with Michelle, but Ben turned on him. You know, he was he was the primary target over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And even though each time he thought he had gotten himself into a good spot and he he was certainly trying. Uh, he, 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 you know, joined the crowd multiple times to vote a certain way, even though he didn't want to. He just he he, he couldn't do it like Nick. He, he just couldn't crack into that core alliance. I think, too, part of Jeremy's problem, and this is just my opinion, I don't know. But in his pregame interviews, he talked about Tony being his ride or die. And he was very interested in playing this game with Tony because he knew that he would be a target. So he wanted to keep meat shields around in order to further his own game. And so he was doing that. 
So I think that part of his strategy was working because he was keeping Tony close to him. But I think he might have gotten lost in that idea of I need to keep Tony to protect myself and not really paying attention to what Tony was actually doing. He was almost like he had blinders on where my my meat shield strategy is working. As long as Tony is here, then I'm safe. And Tony is my guy and, and he's solid with me. And so I think it was hindering his ability to really notice what else Tony had working and and see all of the moves that Tony was making. And he was also spending a whole lot of time focusing on Ben that I think he <laughs> wasn't focusing on Tony. Yeah. So I don't know if that affected his his, you know, looking at the big picture and, and how he was seeing the game, because I think for him, that's what he wanted. He wanted to play with Tony and he was playing with Tony, but really Tony was just playing him. Yeah. And, you know, I think that moves us nicely into the second rule because yes, Jeremy liked to play by having a shield for himself, but no one would let him get one. I mean, yeah, he thought he had Tony, but you know, he kept trying to get a shield. He wanted Wendell. He wanted, you know, it, mm-hmm. he, he sort of had Natalie, uh, he, you know, but the second rule says not to scheme and plot too much and keep your scheming secret. And one of the core warnings of this rule is not to have an obvious duo. Jeremy started with an obvious duo. Mm-hmm. You know, Natalie paid the immediate price for that, but it was also a strike against him, which turned out again to be something we saw over and over again. Like I said, he wanted to bring in Wendell. No, Wendell voted out. He was seen as being too close to Michelle. Um, And, you know, again, he wanted to keep this person or that person. And no, just no, knock knock them off or split them up. You know, Mm -hmm. Nick, Tony, Ben, they all talked about how he was doing too much protecting of other people with Ben suggesting that they blindside Jeremy for that very reason a few weeks ago. After Kim pulled Jeremy aside when he had been sitting with Ben and Tony. Yeah. You know, Jeremy always seemed to have other plans going while he was saying he wanted to work with Tony and company. I mean, I think partly for Jeremy, his biggest struggle in all of this was that he's the ultimate meat shield. You know, he's the guy that everybody else wants to have around to hide themselves behind. And so I think it's a difficult game for him to play when others are looking at him as protection and he's trying to find other people to protect him. And he really doesn't have very many options. Right. So it's a very, very tough spot to be in. And I think he came into the game knowing that that was going to be an issue for him. And he attempted to surpass it by focusing on Tony and trying to play with Tony. But it's just unfortunate for him that everyone was trying to do the same thing with Jeremy. It was like he was going to be an asset to Ben, Tony, as long as he can be a shield to them. And once Mm -hmm. that, once they didn't need that anymore, then Jeremy could go. And it's just unfortunate that his time ran out because his ability to kind of hide them didn't matter anymore because the numbers are just what they are. Yeah. And that wasn't the only place where like he was trying to do something that other people were doing with him because he was getting himself in trouble for having or wanting a duo while he was trying to break up other duos. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted to break up Sarah and Sophie because they were too close, uh, right. which Tony wouldn't do at the time, but he did like the next time, um, you know, whatever plan Tony presented to him, or at least according to Tony, Jeremy always wanted to go against the grain. Uh, earlier, he had wanted to vote out Sarah. Uh, then this time he wanted to turn on Ben. He just kept going after Tony's actual allies. Mm-hmm. And eventually Tony couldn't keep him around anymore. Right. You know, I, 
I understand why he was pushing for those things because quite frankly, Jeremy thought he was in a better spot than he actually was, but he needed to listen to his own advice from a week or two ago when he paraphrased this rule by saying, if you want to make a good move, you got to make sure you're not making it too early because you can't beat anybody at the end if you don't get to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he needed to take out his meat shield. Right. <laughs> that would have been the only option for him. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, he was trying to make these moves against other people too soon when he didn't have the backing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as for Nick, I don't think he had the same types of issues in this rule. I think a lot of that is because generally, as we were talking about, he was more on the fringes and was willing to switch back and forth as necessary rather than spending a lot of effort trying to, to push the action too much like Jeremy was trying to do. Now, mm. with that said, he was totally busted by Tony when Tony you know, called him out because Ben spilled the beans on the Kim plan last week. Mm-hmm. But, you know, which meant if there was ever a chance of Nick getting into the core group with Tony, that kind of killed it. Well, and I think, too, with Nick, his problem here, I mean, talk about scheming and plotting too much. If people start to perceive you as being sneaky, you're going to be in a very, very tough spot because that's something that nobody ever thought about Jeremy. Nobody thought Jeremy was sneaky. Everybody thinks Jeremy is very loyal and doesn't think that he's kind of running around trying to do sneaky things like they thought Nick was doing. And it's just the way that you present yourself. And I think the way that Nick was presenting himself, he was putting this air out there that he was trying to bust in on conversations and he was trying to, you know, to, to listen in on what groups were doing. And if people don't feel like they can trust you, they aren't going to want to necessarily play the game with you because you have to be able to share information and not have that information then shared with the person over here. So I think that they both played that much differently where Jeremy was never perceived in that fashion, even though he was sharing information, but he mm-hmm. also knew how to utilize that information to his benefit. Whereas Nick was just perceived as someone who was not trustworthy because of the way in which he was presenting himself to the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day. Couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back, so let's get back to the show. All right, moving on to rule three. We, you know, I, I just mentioned how Nick was willing to switch back and forth as necessary, and you had talked about that earlier. And, you know, well, the third rule is all about being flexible. Now, several times throughout the season, Uh, We saw somebody present Nick with a plan that went against what he otherwise would have been doing. And several times Nick would be like, okay, let me think about this. Yes, let's do it. Now, you know, there might've been a cut of a few seconds or Mm -hmm. whatever there, but he, he considered it and he switched, you know, he, 
he was a quick thinker in that regard, you know, in that he, he, when he determined that the plans would help him, he went with it. And it seemed like that was a significant part of his strategy. And I think you, you mentioned it in the first role, you know, doing that. I mean, after all, one reason that Nick chose not to continue with Yule was because he said they would be locked in with Yule's plans and have less flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I agree with that sentiment that he was definitely willing to consider all options, which is why we saw him flip flopping and going mm -hmm. back and forth. He was willing to do that, hoping that it would benefit his game. But I think that there were times maybe he was a little too willing to be flexible, whereas if he had been less flexible, maybe he could have gotten that foothold we talked about. But he was certainly willing to consider the options and was trying to look at multiple avenues. But he was also, I think, more willing to go along with suggestions from Tony than he was willing to go along with suggestions from other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Jeremy, he was also playing with a good amount of flexibility, often out of necessity, uh, mm -hmm. starting from the beginning when Natalie was voted out. He knew he had to change things up if he wanted to stick around. And that continued throughout the season. At the merge, he wanted to vote out Nick. And then after Wendell was targeted instead, he changed up and said Nick was one of the main guys he wanted to talk to because Nick was also on the outs. Uh, other times, Jeremy was certain the plan was to vote a certain way, but then Tony would approach him and change it. And Jeremy went along with it and ended up sticking around for a longer time because of it. Yes. And I think that that was something that Jeremy was always very receptive of. If people seem to be coming to Jeremy a lot, he didn't seem to be going to other people with new plans. Kind of like and when he was in the in the in the Adam chaos, when he was sitting on the <laughs> yes, bench. People exactly. just kept coming to him. He's like, ah. Yes, exactly. But he was he was always willing to consider what he was being told and he didn't give pushback, which I think allowed him to not have his name be brought up because he wasn't saying, no, let's not do that. Let's do this. Because for him, it still worked within, I think, the plan that he had with the meat shields and people that were going to protect him. OK, those aren't the people that are being targeted. All right, fine. So he was willing to go along with it. So I do think that that his flexibility was out of necessity and also his desire to not shine any light on himself. So, yeah, I'll go along with this plan because it still fits into my plan that I've got. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, as as we discussed in the second rule, sometimes Jeremy did push too hard rather than going with the flow. So it is a difficult thing to balance. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I think that the struggle for both Nick and Jeremy is obviously everybody has their own idea of what they want their end game to look like. And I, I think it was Jeremy that might have even said, you know, what's good for someone else's game might not be good for my game. Right. And I, and and that's something that everybody has to think about when they're out there playing. And so whether or not you're flexible about this particular decision and not flexible about that one could really depend upon your position in the game and the domino effect that it could have. And if it's not going to have a huge effect, well, then fine, you know, go along right. with it. Because it's only going to make you look like you're being loyal to people. But if it's not going to benefit your game, perhaps a little bit of pushback is OK. And I think that both Jeremy and Nick were kind of mixed in this regard, because even though they were willing to be flexible, they were thinking about their own games. But they just didn't seem to always line everything up the way that they should have in order to further their own game, as opposed to just kind of going along with the flow. Yeah, yeah. All right. The fourth rule tells players not to let their emotions control them. And I think 
both Jeremy and Nick did well here. Both of them know that they have to play this as a game and make the best decisions for themselves. And both had to vote out people that they didn't want to. Mm -hmm. Nick voted out Yule because uh, according to a tweet from Michelle, the two of them decided that strategy wise and without emotion, it made the most sense to stick with Wendell. Uh, Then Jeremy really wanted Wendell to stick around. And we saw how much fun they were having, you know, with their little tickle fights and everything in just a couple (laughs) days. But when the tide turned against Wendell, Jeremy cut his losses and went with the group. Yes. Yeah, I don't think any either one of them struggled with this. I think that that shows that these are people who have played the game before because they have an understanding of what's important and that it's not necessarily friendships. You can develop those friendships, but they also know when they have to cut their losses. Mm -hmm. So I do think that both of them were, were able to make decisions based upon game versus emotion. Yeah. I mean, we discussed earlier how Jeremy was seen as protecting too many people, but I I think he was doing that for strategic reasons Mm -hmm. rather than emotional ones. Even though, for example, he was very friendly with Wendell, he mostly wanted him there to have a strategic partner in the game. Right. And he could have really lost it once they voted out his closest ally, Natalie, and he didn't. So, you know, I think that that just goes to show that he was willing to keep his emotions in check. And, you know, Nick, you've already talked about Yule. So he was certainly willing to make decisions that are not based on emotion. And I think that the one potential area that we saw Nick making a more emotional decision might have been this past episode with Michelle when he was trying to kind of win her back and help her out at the same time by playing the advantage or disadvantage, however you Mm want to call it against Ben in hopes of helping keep Michelle around. But also that was part of a game move too. So it wasn't based solely on emotion, but there was some, I think, desire there to bring Michelle back and continue to work with Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, again, it was a game. move. We'll talk about that later uh, as we <laughs> as we as we get to that uh, rule. OK, seven. Yeah. all right. Uh, for now, we can move into the fifth rule, which is all about the social game and reminds players they need to pretend to be nice. Let's talk about Nick here first, because there were a couple times things came up that made it seem like perhaps some of the others might target him because he had unlikable qualities. Uh, first was something we saw in the premiere episode of his initial season, which was this claim that he just lies around and doesn't do work at camp. But we never heard about that. So we saw it in one episode and this season, I mean, we never heard about it before then. We never heard about it after. So I think it was just a BS red herring to try to make it seem like he was in danger when he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the other time was something you've already mentioned, the idea of Nick, suddenly appearing out of nowhere and butting in on people's conversations with, you know, Ben saying it was weird and concerning. And while it was an amusing running joke of Nick just popping up, uh, you know, even, even when Ben was talking about it, he said Nick had a good social game. So I think that was another red herring and also maybe just something for amusement that poof, there he is. Ah, you know? Yes. No, I agree. I, and I do think that, you know, that Nick, probably got a bad rap really because of the way that that particular scene was edited Mm -hmm. because it's not 
weird, I, I think, to like try to get involved in a conversation. I think right. when you're sneaking up behind people and trying to get involved, well, that's different. But I so I do think that the editors are probably having a little bit of fun with that. But it was it was funny. So yeah. I can appreciate it. But it certainly was happening because it was something that people were talking about when um, they were having their group discussions and Nick would show up and it was mentioned in confessionals. So he wasn't completely you know, innocent of doing that. So I think that that kind of fed into that. Um, is he trustworthy? But that doesn't necessarily mean he didn't have a good social game, you know, where right. he was friendly with people. They could get along with him. He's not very good at lying. I will say that when he was talking with Tony and he did the whole, uh, wait, who was Hamina, Hamina, Hamina. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was bad. But, but I think on, you know, overall, I think he definitely had a strong social game, which is why he was able to form pregame alliances as well mm -hmm. and maintain those relationships. And Jeremy, I mean, he's just someone who, likability is like his middle name. I mean, everybody likes Jeremy and he's seemed, he's always seemed very easy to talk to. And people who have played the game with him have said the same thing that yeah. he is just someone that you can easily have a conversation with and is really able to sell you on things because of how likable he is when he communicates with you. And I've met him and I can tell you, it's absolutely true. He's yeah. incredibly, incredibly likable. So I think overall, both of them were their social games were, there was no issue with their social games. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Nick for a second, he in his pregame getting to know you video for David versus Goliath, he said you build up relationships over a long period. You don't win on day three. And that's one reason he helped. He, he won that season. So mm -hmm. I have no doubt that he came in with that same thing in mind and did a good job despite the red herrings uh, for Jeremy. Yeah, he. He's pretty much universally seen as a likable guy. And I enjoyed uh, seeing Jeff Probst describe him in Entertainment Weekly. Uh, he said, Jeremy is an intensely likable person who plays with a likable intensity. <laughs> yes. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. true. He was right. very likable. And when he played hard, people didn't get mad at him for it. It's kind of like yeah. Tony in that regard. Yeah. You know, he, even in his feud with Ben, it seemed mostly one sided on on Ben's side. You know, I mean, Jeremy did say at the beginning, I liked Ben, but now everything he does annoys me. Well, Ben just seems to be having that effect on a number of different people, but mm -hmm. it didn't stop Jeremy from wanting to work with him whenever it was necessary. Right. The problem was, as Jeremy continued in that statement, he doesn't want to work with me. Jeremy wasn't the one letting dislike get in the way. Yes. Jeremy always comes across on screen when you see him communicating with anybody uh, very calm. There's definitely a calmness about him, even when he's kind of watching what's happening and seeing other people communicate. There's just something very interesting in his demeanor. And I think that that's something that he just exudes when he's on the island. I think for Nick, part of his problem coming into this season was he wasn't able to play up that kind of aw shucks um, country boy persona that he wanted to right. play his first season. I mean, that was his plan to come in and really play that up. And now, unfortunately, cat's out of the bag. He can't mm -hmm. do that. So I think that caused him to have to change things just a little bit because people know a lot about Nick now. They've seen him play that role and he can't necessarily come in and do that again. So I think for him, it was kind of, uh, you know, relearning how to really ingratiate yourself with these people and not being able to utilize that component of himself as much. Right. Right. All right. Well, uh, we can move on to the sixth rule, which warns against being too much of a threat. And 
we were just talking about Jeremy's likability. Well, that's one major reason people have always been concerned about him getting to the end, Mm -hmm. though the players in his second chance season obviously didn't worry enough. Uh, These winners this time, they weren't going to let that happen again. You know, Ben said Jeremy will win at the end. The jury will vote for him. Nick noted that they can't beat Jeremy. Everybody knew if he made it to the final three, they were in big trouble. I mean, they literally saw that season already. Right. Oh, for sure. And I I think that this is something that we all knew about Jeremy coming in. He has a great story. He has, you know, an incredible family that everybody knows about. Everyone got to see when they brought them all Mm -hmm. out to the island. And and all of these things can work against you. You could be the the most likable, nice person. And those people very rarely are able to get to the end because they are so likable. They are so nice and they have such a great story. So he had a lot of things stacked against him walking in. And it's no surprise that people were touting that, that if he makes it to the end, he's going to win. And I know that there's been some discussion as to whether or not he really like played hard while he was out there. And, you know, was he really a threat to win? I, I do think that that likability factor, it really raises the bar as far as your threat level, because if someone is sitting next to Jeremy and there's a jury member that is looking at these two people and they really like Jeremy and they don't like the person sitting next to him, even if that person might have played a little bit stronger, they don't like them. So they're more likely, I think, to vote for the person they like as opposed to the person that they don't really like, but they think played a better game. No, they're going to go with the person that they like. I mean, especially in Jeremy's case, it's not like he was doing nothing. Right. You know, he was playing the game. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, doing what he could. We discussed that already. And, you know, so for that reason, it was surprising that he kept surviving for a while, even though he was supposed to be the main target. Yes. But we do have to remember almost all of that was Tony keeping him to act as a shield. However, the longer Jeremy was there, the more people focused on him as a threat. And eventually the time for that shield passed and they had to get rid of him. I think that the mere fact that if he had made it to the final three, that would have been a huge selling point for him with the jury, because Mm -hmm. how the, you know, basically how the hell did you survive so long? Like, how did you manage? Because he, he was such a threat coming into this game and he was someone who was always being targeted and he kept saving himself or being saved and not getting voted out. So I do think that that, in and of itself, sitting there in the final three added to his likability and his social game. And all of that raises his threat level for sure. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it before. If you are someone who everybody is focused on getting out and you make it all the way to the end, Mm -hmm. you almost always win. That's how Ben won. That's how Mike Holloway won. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's because people get it in their mind. If this person gets to the end, they will win. So we want to get them out. Mm hmm. But if they can't get them out and they make it to the end, well, everybody's already convinced themselves that person was going to win. Absolutely. um, That's why on your season, uh, Brett was talking about that David was going to win Mm -hmm. because, you know, he Brett kept yelling, get him out, get him out. And and he wasn't he wasn't getting voted out. And he's like, well, you just gave it to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, and that's what would have happened if if, you know, Dave could have made it to the end. It's the Absolutely. same sort of situation. It's a very interesting dynamic to watch when you see people communicating things like that to the jury, because it does start planting that seed. If the jury is hearing during tribal councils that this person needs to go home because of this reason, or that person is a threat because of this reason, you really are giving 
ammunition to the people who are going to be picking the winner right. and things that they can rely upon and even bring up in the final tribal council. Like, you know, you actually sat there so-and-so and said X about this person. Are we just supposed to discount that now? And so choosing what you say in front of that jury really is very, very significant as it can negatively affect your game because you're really building up another person instead of building yourself up. Yeah. I mean, it's happened in, you know, us survivor it's happened in Australian survivor. I mm-hmm. won't say which season uh, just so as not to spoil for anybody, but yeah, you know, they're, they're sitting there as they're nearing the end and people are talking about, Oh, if we don't get rid of him, he's going to win. If we don't get rid of him, he's going to win. He's been doing this and this and this. If, if I were the person being talked about, I'd just be sitting back. <laughs> okay thanks yeah. you're making my final jury speech for me mm-hmm. absolutely yes 100 percent. so um now switching to nick he was a different type of threat you know uh, tony categorized him as a hyena who stays on the fringes and you know he he included him in that group that he said that tony said were low profile people with no target on them and the fact is that nick was playing from the bottom for almost the whole post-merge game Mm-hmm. But this goes back to our pregame podcast where we talked about the threat of being a lesser threat you know, to Tony. Having people like this around was, in fact, threatening because he didn't want them to join together and get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he didn't want the hyenas taking down the lion. So when when Nick won immunity in the first half of this episode, he would have been the person that they were going after. He, you know, we called him the most threatening, least threatening person. Uh, so when he became available, the next vote, yeah, they went for it. Yeah. And it's interesting that the hyenas never really did wrangle themselves together <laughs> and do anything about that. Because I, I do think that it's, it's something that is less focused on when you're, when you're out there, when people are playing this game, they, they, they seem to lose sight of who are the kind of misfits, you know, what is it? Misfit toys kind of thing, you know, like what is that group of people that could potentially come together? And Tony has been very aware of that group and very mindful of the numbers and what they could do to his game. So absolutely. Nick's threat level is going to soar when it comes to Tony because it's negatively affecting Tony's game. Now his threat level to someone like Michelle totally different because Mm -hmm. he is not a threat to Michelle. He's someone that Michelle needs. And so it's an interesting thing to see happening because the threat level that Jeremy presents is a much different across the board to everybody threat level, whereas someone like Nick, his threat level depends on who's on the receiving end of it. So it's they're they're in completely different dynamics and, and realms, if you will, when it comes to what type of threat they did present to the people that they were playing the game with. Yeah. Now, there were other people who had reasons to see Nick as a threat. Um, I mean, Tony was directing a lot of it, but Ben said Nick was good at puzzling and uh, and created chaos around camp. You know, Sarah was talking about how he had won immunity and come from the bottom all season and everyone loves the underdog story. And she added that you can't not like the guy because he's been playing his butt off. All of these things made him a threat to that threesome moving further into the game. Right. And, you know, Ben might not have realized it, but Nick was the biggest threat to him because it seemed like Nick wanted to take Ben's spot in that trio. So, you know, he could overthrow the trio. Right. But it is it is an interesting thing to think about if 
though Nick is a threat to Tony or Ben or Sarah getting to the final three, what happens when he's sitting next to them in the final three? Is he still a threat? I don't think that Sarah's interpretation of his game was exactly as threatening as she thought it was where Mm -hmm. this underdog story, because he really, I don't think Nick was coming across as much of an underdog as Jeremy was, you know, Jeremy was, he was, everyone wanted to vote him out at least three tribals in a row. I mean, he was target, you know, number one, enemy number one. Everyone wanted to vote out Jeremy and he was managing to stay in the game. Granted, Tony was a huge reason for that. But whereas I feel like Nick was someone who was more willing to jump around, move, go where the vote was. And so his underdog story is not the same, where even though he was being targeted, he was also moving around and being kind of sneaky and not really tying himself to any one person too tight. So I think that the underdog story isn't as strong. And so I don't know if a jury, especially this jury full of winners is going to look at that and say, yeah, that's a great underdog story. I think they're going to interpret that a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to know. First of all, I think if you're Sarah and Tony and Ben, you would think that Nick was going to try to overthrow you anyway. Right. You know, and, but even let's say that Nick had somehow worked something, gotten Tony out and was up against Sarah in the end. If people on the jury were mad at Sarah and remember, Sarah's had that experience already of people being mad at her. They still voted mm-hmm. for her, but they were mad at her. If, if you have people mad at her and then Nick, who was fighting on their side, fighting for the underdog, you know, mm-hmm then yeah, he might be a threat there. I, I don't know that he wasn't, you're right. He wasn't Jeremy level threat, but he mm-hmm. was a, a potential threat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just a different, they're just coming at it from different right. places. I think. Right. All right. Now the seventh rule uh, covers idols and advantages. And Jeremy, of course, had the safety without power advantage and he used it perfectly. I mm-hmm. mean, Okay, it wasn't the most difficult thing in the world to do because the other side had made it pretty clear he was the target. And I believe that was the last time he could use it. So, mm-hmm. you know, not exactly, you know, brain surgery there. But I do feel like there are some who would have stood by their alliance and said, no, I'm not going to use it. And, you know, so credit to him for saving himself. Right. Absolutely. Uh, now, Nick's situation was not nearly as clear cut. And there has been a fair amount of debate about whether he made the right decision. Should he have used the disadvantage on Ben as he did? Should he have targeted Michelle or should he have gone after someone else? Personally, I think he made the right decision to use it on Ben. But I also agree with Rob that he should have, and we we talked about this a little bit, he should have piled on by Mm -hmm. making it seem like Ben was a target of Tony so that Ben would get paranoid and maybe flip. Now, this would have helped if, Probst had said this came from someone within the game, like you were talking yes. about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know how, I, I mean, I guess he could have piled on by saying, well, I don't think that came from the edge. I think that's someone here, you know, and, and to see if he could get Ben all riled up. Yeah. And I think that Ben is someone who could be easily riled up. We've seen it before, but Ben also is so blindly loyal, I think, to Tony that there is a very strong likelihood that he would have went back and said something to Tony. And then Mm -hmm. Tony would have been able to spin the information to Ben and point it back at Nick. So, you know, I don't know if the I don't think Ben was necessarily the right choice. I, I mean, I I think that if if 
Nick wanted to create chaos, his better, the better path, in my opinion, was Tony. You play that on Tony because then Tony is going to be spinning his wheels, trying to figure out what happened and wanting to know. I mean, Ben asked probes and he was like, I'm not telling you, but then it just kind of seemed to go away. You know, like it wasn't a right. thing anymore. Now, if he had, well, they had to save on- time in the episode so they could show 15 minutes of, you know, the rest of the season. Don't get oh, me sorry. started. On that. <laughs> on that. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that was, that was, I won't even tell you what my mother said about that. She was very unhappy with that last 15 minutes, but, um, but no, I do think that obviously if he had played it on Michelle, I think that, you know, then she wouldn't have won immunity and she would have been the one going home. So it wouldn't have been Nick being voted no. out. So no. No. So, OK, yeah, let me let me jump in here All because, right, jump in. because there are a number of problems with that. First, he would have needed to get the two fire tokens from someone else unless he wanted to be called out as soon as Jeff Probst announced that Michelle was the target. I mean, can you imagine her rage if she gave him the two fire tokens and then he used it on wow. her? But that could she, have been she, great. Yeah, but she'd have called him out in oh, front okay. of everyone. But even if she had done that, who cares? Everyone wants to vote Michelle out, right? So they could be Maybe, like, oh. but I don't think he... I don't Tony think he would have been call, happy. Like, yeah, but you said he was seen as being sneaky. Talk about well, sneaky. right. But he could say, Tony, I did this to help you and to help yeah. us because now Michelle guaranteed she's not winning and we want her to get voted out. I mean, there's a way to spin it. Maybe. Um, I'm not I saying it's other, a good ploy, right, but it's yeah. an idea. Yeah, I, I, I think the other thing is his plans involved getting to the end with Michelle. Oh, you know, and that is true. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. they were close allies. Um, he didn't want her voted out because he would have just followed after. I mean, and I, yes, I agree you know, with that. Right. So as a matter of fact, here's my thing. For all we know, he might still have been voted out if Michelle hadn't won immunity because he was the target earlier in the episode before he won immunity. And that's very true, too. So we don't know. Yeah, they were talking about Michelle, but it could have just as easily gone back to him anyway. You know, and, and the thing is, Nick said he was looking to the end game and he needed Michelle as part of his plan. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's because he knew he would need help to overthrow Tony and he couldn't do that without Michelle's support and help. So yes. getting her voted yes. out, even if he had gotten her voted out, which we don't know would have happened, mm-hmm. it would have given him three more days and then he'd have been gone. And I'm not saying that he should have played it on Michelle. I'm saying that's a different avenue he could have taken. But if we really want to look at where he screwed up, we can go back to the fact that he didn't vote out Ben instead of Jeremy. You know, that's where, you know, we didn't we haven't talked about that, but it's just this idea that if he wants to overthrow Tony and he needs numbers to do it, Jeremy was a number. And I do think that Michelle pointing out to Nick, how is it you see us getting to the end? Like, what is your path that you've created by getting rid of Jeremy? Because he's a number that we needed. And I think that that was that was really his missed opportunity. Well, let's go ahead into Appendix A and talk about that because it's about the rest of the tribe keeping their end goals in mind when voting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, we talk about, you know, voting out the weak, then the strong, then the weak, then the strong. And there aren't very many players who would be seen as weaker. But Jeremy was certainly, you know, on the strong side. And Mm -hmm. Tony would have described Nick as, you know, weaker or hyena. So, yeah, there is this question for the Jeremy vote of should Nick have gone along with it? Now, no. Ro- <laughs> well, there we have. End of podcast. That's it. Um, Done. Yeah. No. Now, 
uh, Robin PG said on the recap show that Nick shouldn't have because Nick was playing from the bottom anyway. So he should have just focused on making it to the end rather than worrying about who you're up against. And, and I often, you know, I, I understand what they're saying. And I have often said the same thing. You can't win unless you get to the end. But as several players have talked about in recent episodes, you also have to give yourself a, some sort of chance when you get there. Mm-hmm. And this was an opportunity to take out one of the bigger threats. So I, I'm, despite your saying no, I don't fault Nick for going along with that. You know, he made all these statements about planning for the end. And to me, that pretty well explains his reasoning for wanting to keep Ben. Ben is eminently more beatable at the end oh, than Jeremy. Sure. But- so you have a chance to take out Jeremy now. And then right. hopefully you can work on taking Tony out. Do it. Because otherwise you're leaving. What? Then there would be three huge threats left in the game if you took out Ben at that point. But here's the problem. Ben, Sarah, and Tony are a solid three. So you need to break up that three because I don't think you, 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 okay, and I should back up too. Denise and Michelle and Nick were talking about the fact that they wanted to be a final three. That's your final three right there. You know, I mean, as far as those three are concerned, that's the final three you want. So I think all of those three were very mindful of who needed to go in order to get to that final three. And if you have an opportunity at that point, point in the game to break up the Sarah and Tony duo you're gonna I mean who I mean Ben you you said if anyone is is beatable out of that three it's Ben so you're less concerned about Ben still being in the game but you've managed to take out Tony who is likely going to be anyone who is sitting next to in the end so take out that threat when you still have the numbers in order to do so because at that point you've got four people who could overthrow that that trio get rid of tony and then you're only dealing with sarah and ben at that point and then you could turn your sights on you could go back to jeremy and say okay well we still have the numbers because now we've got the four two advantage so if we want to vote out jeremy we have an opportunity to do so you know it just to me it just seems like too much of a risk to not break up that three because you have three people who are voting together all the time so why not break up those three in order to have the numbers. That's why I feel like it would have been smarter for him to say, okay, Ben can stay in the game. We'll worry about Jeremy next vote or the vote after, because then your threat levels are really down to basically Sarah and Jeremy at that point. You know, I mean, you, you have the two people left that you need to get out of the game as opposed to Tony, Sarah and Ben who want to go to the final three together. See, and I can understand the debate. Because even Michelle said the two of them were already on the bottom and Nick was too naive to see it. And there is some truth to that. But here's the thing. You kept talking about how solid Ben is. Well, earlier I mentioned Nick thought he was more solid with Tony than he actually was. I don't think either Nick or Jeremy realized how solid Ben was in that trio. Mm. I think Tony has probably done a very good job of acting like Ben is not super solid with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because like what happened when Ben told Tony about the Kim plan that he knew about it, Tony told Nick, yeah, Ben filled me in on that. Well, why would you rat out someone who you're that solid with? Mm. No, Wouldn't I can understand. Normal. And so, and also up to this point, Jeremy had been 
seemingly super tight with with Tony. Tony saved Jeremy time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. So looking at it from Nick's outside perspective, I don't know that there was a difference between Ben and Jeremy in terms of who was tighter to Tony. If anything, it might have looked like Jeremy was tighter with Tony because Tony kept saving Jeremy. Right. But I think in that in that particular moment, your choice is either Ben or Jeremy. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not Ben or Tony. It's not Tony. or Jeremy. I mean, it's Ben or Jeremy. And so if you're looking at those two individuals and if you know who is likely to vote with you, Ben has not been voting with Nick necessarily. I mean, it's not like those two have been working together, but you know that Jeremy and Michelle are working together and you know that Michelle is working with you. So there's like, you know, you've, you've got that, you've at least got three there where you can say, okay, well, if if this three is solid, then we can vote together to make something happen as opposed to, well, if I vote out Jeremy, then I just have Michelle and I'm I'm hoping that I can pull in, you know, a Denise or I can pull in Ben to try to make something happen with Tony. If there's too many variables on that path, I feel like your better course, just looking at the numbers, is going where you know you have the numbers. So if you know you have Michelle, then you know you've got Jeremy. So you've at least got three to try to make something happen. I mean, the the Jeremy and Michelle thing could be part of the problem. You know, if Nick is looking at this and saying, here's what I want to do going forward, I want to work with Michelle. If Michelle was that tight with Jeremy, which we knew she was because she mm-hmm. gave him the 50-50 coin, you know, it may be another situation uh, that we've seen a couple times this season. Well, I want to get rid of that person because they're getting too close to my person that I want to be close with. Right. And that's true. That is definitely you know? true. But I also feel like if if. Nick is looking at who he wants to be sitting next to in the end. That's when you really have to start. Every vote that you make has to make you that much closer to the final three and has to get you that much closer. And you have to know who you're going to be sitting next to when you get there. And to me, it just feels like out of those two between Ben and Jeremy at that moment, I feel like if he had voted out Ben, he could have eliminated those three people voting together and brought in someone who would vote with him and then hopefully take out Tony in trying to get himself to the end. I mean, and again, this is just what we're seeing. We don't know what they're seeing and and we don't know how everyone perceives the relationships, but it is one of those questions I have as to, you know, what I I thought Michelle was right when she was saying to him, what course do you see us taking? Like what path? How are we going to get there now? We're on the bottom completely. And there's only two of us. And and there's not much you can do when it's two versus four. Well, and that's exactly it. I just think that he Nick saw a different path. Nick Mm -hmm. saw things differently and he was looking at the end. And at the end. Anybody would much rather sit with Ben than Jeremy. Oh, for sure. And I don't discount that. So, I don't discount so that. So you get, I mean, they've been trying to vote out Jeremy for three votes. You know, you finally get a chance to take out a huge threat. I, I can understand why he did it. I mean, it, it's, it's, there's no good solution here. Mm-hmm. But to my mind, some big threat had to go. You have to stop just voting out the, the, the lower threats. If you're mm-hmm. Nick, a big threat had to go. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I'm thinking. I can understand that. So now moving on to the time when Nick got voted out. So it won't matter who's there at the end as far as he's concerned. (laughs) Um, 
it seems like those who went against him probably did the right thing from their perspective. But it raises the very important question of why is nobody going after Tony? Thank you. Isn't that what I've just been saying? Right. He has Ah. zero votes against him. I know. If if anybody had said in the preseason that we'd be at the second to last episode and Tony had no votes, we'd call them crazy Mm -hmm. because it is crazy. Yes. You know, Ben apparently considers himself a lock for final three with with Tony and Sarah. Does he think he can beat either of them? Apparently. Because if he does, he's nuts. Um, <laughs> you know. I'm sorry. I like Ben, but you're nuts if you think that. Um, Denise is apparently part of that group, too. And she did say she wants Tony out. But the longer they wait, the fewer chances they have. Even if they succeed in getting rid of Tony. Does Denise think she can beat Sarah? Mm. I also think that's crazy. You know, M- Michelle seems to know she can't beat Tony, but she can't do anything about it. She's, you know, stuck in this position where she hasn't really been able to make anything happen, much like Nick. Right. You know, Sarah talked about an absolute lock final three of herself with Ben and Tony. So Sarah must think that she can beat Tony. And I would say she has the best shot of anyone. She does. And I, I thought it was interesting this episode that we saw Michelle who really Mm -hmm. has, she is the only one that's really trying to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. Like where the hail Mary pass, like Sarah, do you, nobody's beating Tony. So, I mean, she, she put it out there point blank that no one is beating Tony. So maybe you need to start thinking about that. And Sarah's response was to immediately throw Michelle under the bus and, Oh, can you believe she's saying these things and didn't spend any time really reflecting on the fact that, Maybe Michelle's got a point. And I do think I don't want to jump ahead, but can don't I? do it. Don't do I, it. Ah, uh, I just feel like. <laughs> Are you about to make a prediction? No, 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 no predictions. No. But here's the thing that we have seen. We talked about it already. The jury is watching tribal councils. They're seeing what happens. They're seeing who is controlling things. Boston Rob called Tony. Um, a boss. Uh, And I don't know if they heard him say that or not, but it's one of those things that it's very apparent what is happening. And maybe Sarah does think that she's got a shot at beating Tony, but there has to be some understanding that the jury's seeing this and the jury is, is realizing who's going to win. Somebody from that group is going to come back and join this group. And maybe they'll start saying, Hey, by the way, we all think Tony's going to win. You know, I mean, so maybe at that point, Sarah will have an epiphany. Um, but it, it's it's very clear to the viewers, obviously, what we're seeing, that Tony is running the show. Maybe it's not as apparent to the people who are on the island because Tony is doing an incredible job of kind of hiding his his trickery. I mean, it's incredible that the Jedi mind tricks he's kind of playing on people. And I'm And I know Sarah is part of that, too. But I think what Sarah is suffering from right now is that Wendell Dominic duo that we saw yes. where you have two people making the same moves, even though they are together making these decisions. One person is going to get really the benefit of those moves or be seen as the one leading the charge more so than we did in the Dominic Wendell, because that really I mean, that was a tie and it came down to one person picking the winner. And so I feel like in this situation, it's going to be Dominic and Wendell, except 
Sarah is going to be discounted as being the leading force in these moves. And she's just not seeing that, which is unfortunate because I think she's playing a hell of a game. Yeah. But if she really wants to win, she's got to cut Tony's legs out from under him. Otherwise, she's not going to. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I was going to mention Aurora McCreary wondered on Twitter, anyone else feeling like this cast did not watch Ghost Island <laughs> and two powerful players getting to the end and having other players just do what they want. Right. Uh, so, yeah, this is a case of deja vu here. You know, everybody but Tony and Sarah should be getting together to get rid of that duo. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, they're distracted by picking off one another, just like happened on Ghost Island. Yes. You know, how many times did people try to get, you know, uh, Laurel and Kellen could, you know, if they ever could have been on the same page, mm -hmm. they could have worked together. But everybody was on different pages. Same thing that's happening here. And you got to give credit to Tony and Sarah for keeping them off balance and on yes, their different pages. For sure. But as much as Sarah may be absolutely doing as much as Tony for all we know she's not the forward facing view of that mm -hmm, right and you know I just yeah I, I just think she's uh, going to be in trouble not to get into our predictions yet but now Michelle is very similar to Donathan because I feel like Donathan was the one that was like going to Laurel going hey <laughs> listen, mm -hmm. this is what's happening and Michelle is doing the same thing. She was she's like telling Nick, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? How are we going to get to the end? She's trying to tell Sarah Tony is Tony is winning this. And this is why I feel like the players have to be seeing it, too, because Michelle sees it. Michelle's pointing it out to Sarah. So it, it can't be completely blinded, you know, and, and people and people are completely oblivious to the game they's playing because Michelle is seeing it. So I do think that for whatever reason. I, I don't know why anyone thinks that they can truly beat Tony, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Michelle's really, she's trying, she's working yeah. her angles and, yeah. and, and, and Denise to give her credit too, she said, Tony's got to go. Like we can't sit right. in the final three with Tony. And so at least she's recognizing it. So, and so there is some understanding by people playing the game that Tony is winning, except for people like Sarah, Sarah's yeah. not seeing it. Ben's not seeing it. Yeah. All right. Well, we can move on to Appendix B, which we haven't really been discussing Appendix B, which talks about the jury phase because, well, the jury phase started with the very first vote. Mm -hmm. um, you know, plus, I don't feel like we've seen many, if any, votes that were based on seeding the jury. Mm -hmm. you know, now that we're, we're down to the nitty gritty here, people are definitely planning for the end game as well. We've just been discussing, you know, we had Nick saying he was making his voting decision on how he could best get to day 39 and who he can beat. Uh, he said, I'm just trying to win this game, period. Um, it, it didn't work out uh, or else we wouldn't have been talking about him for the last however long here, but it was good thinking on his part. He mm -hmm. knew who could beat him, specifically naming Jeremy, Sarah, and Tony. So he was planning on how to get rid of them, obviously, starting with Jeremy. Uh, it, it seems like some others are thinking about this as well, especially Tony. I, I really do think Tony wants to go to the end with Sarah and Ben. You know, he told Sarah, you know, you're the only one I would lose for. Now, do I mm. think that he believes that he's going to lose to her? No, I think it's a Sandra. Well, I don't know about that <laughs> uh, situation. You know, I'm, I'm sure he believes he can beat her at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but Jeremy, on the other hand, was someone who had to go. Yeah, and I, I do think that Tony is playing an incredible game 
that allows him to sit next to anybody. And when you have that ability in, in the game of Survivor, then you know that you have really played a perfect game because it doesn't matter who Tony sits next to. And Tony is choosing to sit next to the one person who could potentially beat him. But Tony knows that he's got enough ammunition, you know, to to throw at the jury in regards to why his game was better than Sarah's, that it doesn't matter. that So for Tony... His loyalty to Sarah, I think, is negatively affecting Sarah in a way where she thinks, "Okay, well, I'm a lock solid with this guy and we're going to go and battle it out in front of the jury. Whereas in Tony's mind, he's like, yeah, we're going to battle it out and I'm going to win because I have more things to say than you do, which is unfortunate for Sarah. So I do think that it's it it's a sad place for Sarah to be in because she has played an incredible game. But the thing that she needs to do is she needs to get rid of Tony in order to elevate herself to Tony status in front of that jury and then have the ability to sit next to anyone and win. Right now, the person she can sit next to is Tony. Anyone else? 100 percent. I think she's she's golden, but not Tony. Right. All right. With all that and, uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, time to wrap things up, I think. So what are your final (laughs) thoughts? My final thoughts are Jeremy and Nick played, I think, very different games. I mean, they came into this game from very different places where Jeremy was seen as an immediate threat because of who he is and everything that he brings to the table. Just being Jeremy, firefighter, father, and he utilized all of those things to his benefit. He knew that those were going to be focal points of who he was in this game, and he was going to lean into that, and he did. He also understood that he needed a meat shield because he was going to be a meat shield for other people, and he tried to use that as part of his strategy, which we saw him do, and it worked. He made it this far and utilized Tony to his benefit. Tony used him to his benefit. So I think that meat shield strategy worked for him. Nick, on the other hand, came in, I think, as one of the most recent winners. Kind of, you know, he thought he was going to have this underdog story, not someone that people really focused on so much as we saw Tony refer to him as a hyena. So there is some threat that we've discussed that can come with having that type of persona. And I think we saw Nick really try to utilize that to his benefit by being willing to flip back and forth and work with other people and really try to maneuver the game in a fashion that was going to get him to the end, but unfortunately really wasn't able to take control of things and was really just kind of blindly leading at times, I think. So unfortunately for Jeremy and Nick, even though they came into this game with different mm, types of games and playing the game so differently, they were both struggling. They were both playing from the bottom. They were really trying to find their foothold and never really could and ended up being the focal point of so many votes and not someone who is necessarily leading the charge and running the game that I think that they would have liked to. But Jeremy knew he couldn't because that would have only elevated his threat level. Nick wanted to, and he just could never get there. So unfortunately for Nick and Jeremy, even though they played much different games, they both found themselves being targeted for different reasons. Yeah. You, you said they played much different games, but I actually saw a lot of similarity Uh, to start with. They both fell for Tony's lies. That's true. (laughs) Neither of them is stupid at all. They both had their own game plans, but they also found themselves on the bottom. Uh, Maybe they just didn't realize how on the bottom they were. You know, both of them relied on Tony a bit too much and it came back to bite them. Uh, Jeremy got into that position by being too much of a threat 
over and over again. Uh, he was a huge threat to win. People weren't going to make the same mistake this time that the group in Second Chances did. He was also a threat within the game as he kept trying to advance his own plans and get trusting partners. Every time he tried to make a move, people would make a counter move. Nobody wanted to let him advance except Tony, who saved him several times in a row so he could continue to be that shield. As I said earlier, though, at some point, the shield has to be thrown aside. Nick was in a different position. Uh, He was on the outs, but was not a real target for a long time. However, part of that was because Jeremy was still around acting not only as a shield for Tony, but for others as well. Michelle said if Jeremy went, she and Nick would be picked off next. And so far, she's at least half right. Both Jeremy and Nick played the game well in many ways, though, like you said, they did play it differently. Jeremy was more often out in front, trying to steer things in the direction he wanted. Nick was more subtle, being flexible and joining up with those who wanted to make different moves. But they did have one major thing in common. They thought they could trust Tony. Jeremy thought he was super tight with Tony and with good reason. After all, Tony had saved him multiple times and had been telling him the truth. He told him he didn't need to play the coin just you know, last week. Leading up to tribal council, to his own tribal council, that is, Nick thought he was in the best position of the game. He thought he could be he could convince Tony to be with him. But both of them underestimated where Ben fell into the Tony equation. As far as we can see right now, Tony wants Ben with him in the final three. Each of them thought they could replace Ben in that position and maybe even overthrow Tony from there. But it seems like that was never going to happen. Tony appears to have been controlling this game, though, of course, Sarah could be a big part of that as well. And we just haven't seen it as much as we discussed. Either way, both Jeremy and Nick were a threat to that final three. Jeremy was too much of a threat. Nick was the most threatening, least threatening player left in the game. And that is why Jeremy and Nick lost. Interesting. That resonating theme was Tony. Yes. Yes, it is. (sighs) Uh, Like so much else about this season. The resonating Mm -hmm. theme is Tony. 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 So, all right. Well, uh, before we get to our predictions, let me remind everyone that the rules we just discussed are available in both poster and Mm -hmm. t-shirt, t-shirt form uh, (laughs) for the shirt. Go to RobHasWebsite.com or RobHasPodcast.com. Click on the merch link and then sort to see newer items first. Uh, for the poster, go to tinyurl.com slash poster 2 And remember, we'll be donating the proceeds of every poster sale for one more week. Um, all right. Predictions. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. We're going to be done, done, done. You're right. Uh, <laughs> it, it is hard to believe next week is the finale. I know. So, so we have a lot of predicting to do here. First, first, who will come back from the edge of extinction? It seems pretty obvious it's either Natalie or Tyson. Natalie has the advantage because she has all the advantages. Uh, (laughs) She has everything. Yeah. Uh, Tyson does have a competitive edge that makes me think he might be able to pull it off even without all of that. And And he got some peanut butter from Natalie. That's right. The other thing is, why show us the scene of Natalie giving him an idol if he doesn't make it back? What would the point of that be mm-hmm. if he doesn't make it back? I, there is none. Right. So I'm going to go against the uh, go against the grain here. I'm going to predict Tyson returns again. Interesting. Now, here's why <coughs> curiosity got the best of me. It was that jar of peanut butter that Natalie had. OK, mm-hmm. so she opens it. It's a 
full jar of peanut it butter. Is. And it appears to be the last day that they're able to purchase things. So she buys a whole jar of peanut butter and that whole jar of peanut butter is gone <laughs> before they go to their challenge. That's a whole lot of peanut butter to be eating if she ate that whole jar. I'm just saying. I mean, she I don't know how long she down. had it. Right. So I don't know how long she had that jar of peanut butter, if it really was that long. But but I do think that um, she's got three advantages going into that challenge, which I don't even think Tyson is. He has one advantage. He'll have one advantage. Right. I don't know. Does he even have one? Did he Uh, get any? He. Yes, he did finish the the coconut coconut thing. He was part of the coconut thing. So I think that he ended up getting two tokens. So I'm pretty sure he bought an advantage. So I do believe that he or Natalie have the best shot. And I don't know how. How do you have three advantages and not win? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it seems very odd that she wouldn't win. But I agree with you that it doesn't make much sense that they spent so much time on that unless they needed to justify where all of her tokens went because she had 14 right. tokens. She still has like six left or something. Ridiculous. Well, that's exactly it. So who cares? I mean, if they didn't right. tell anybody that she gave one to Tyson, who cares? Right. And it was, it was a side of Tyson that, you know, we, we've now seen multiple times a season mm-hmm. where he's getting emotional, uh, uh, you know, responding to the act that Natalie did mm-hmm. by sharing that with him and giving him an idol. Now, here's my question too, as far as the idols are concerned. All right. So the people who are on the edge of extinction are not in the game, but they are right. in the game weirdly. So she has an idol. Tyson has an idol. Could she give her no. idol? No, we know this. She can't say, hey, I'm going to give my my idol to Tyson. No, that's why she had to buy him one or give him the fire tokens to buy one, I think. Well, couldn't she could she give him before they get to the you know what I mean? No, because this isn't a situation where they're passing from out of the game to into the game. Right. So if he wins, she can't just like, you know, pick it up and hey, here you go. Um, Right. Because at that point, he is in the game. She is out of the game still. And it's not one of the sanctioned times when they can do that. Right. But what I'm saying is right now, if they're on edge, like if she went. I'm going to say no, because then she would have just given it to someone who would hand it back to her. Then she could have spent those other six. But that's what I'm curious about. Like, can't she just keep buying them and giving them to other people? Well, she could have, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems weird to me that there was this limitation where, I mean, because obviously only one person is getting back in the game. So if if I were Natalie and I still had six tokens left, well, I'd be like, all right. Maybe she did. Maybe she did buy it for other people. And Tyson's the only one we saw because Tyson's the only one that matters. That's true, because I don't know why you would stop if there's nothing else that you can do with these tokens Mm -hmm. besides bring them home and have them as, you know, memorabilia from your time playing on the edge, um, which would be great to have. Yeah, I feel like spread the wealth a little bit more. I mean, she did talk about wanting to wreak havoc when they got back in the game. So either she or Tyson to do it, but then buy one for Boston Rob, you know, buy one for someone else who for Yule or why she didn't do Jeremy. Yeah. Like, why don't you buy one for Jeremy? I mean, I think she did. Maybe she did. And we only saw Tyson for a reason. I'm I'm curious about that because it doesn't make much sense to limit it just to Tyson. If you've got extra 
edge right. tokens. All right. But so who's I, your prediction? I do. I agree with you. I think it's, it, I do think that. I've convinced you that Tyson's coming back. You haven't convinced me. Here's the thing. <laughs> and I think it would be, I mean, it's down to the Boston Rob, Tyson or Natalie. And Natalie is in there. Obviously she's a beast. I mean, she she's, in, she's incredible. Um, she's got three advantages. So I, I feel like something really has to go incredibly wrong for her to not be back in the game. But here's why I want it to be Tyson, because I think that out of anybody who has the potential of sitting in a final three from the edge who could really justify his like sitting there is someone like Tyson because he did come back in and got voted out and then gets back in. So I, I don't know. I, I, I appreciate the idea of Tyson coming back in because I do think that he would be able to wreak some serious havoc mm. if he got back in the game. I, 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 I love Natalie. Oh, I think he will. And I'll explain to you why in just a few minutes. Okay. So <clears throat> let me, uh, I'll give you the counterpoint before you make your point. Okay. I think whoever comes back, even including Tyson, I do not think this group is going to make the same mistake as the original Edge of Extinction cast. They saw what can happen. They know they need to get rid of that person. So within the first two votes, that person should be gone. Oh, you know? and I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. Okay. Um, you know, Nick even said in the secret scene upon arriving at Edge of Extinction, he said, I'm actually excited to be at the edge. It's really best case scenario if I do get back in to be here and meet everyone. This is my one shot with the jury, and I think I'll have a good chance to win. And he's not wrong. Mm. You know, we know what happened last time, and so do the players. They can't let it happen again, especially in this season. Right. I don't disagree with that. But I think that that first vote, whoever comes back, which I think it will be a Tyson could be Natalie, but she's going to really have to screw up in order for it not to be her because she's got three advantages. Um, is that that person who has been sitting on the edge with the whole jury, who have they been talking about? They've been talking about Tony mm -hmm. and, and because that's what juries do. They talk about what they're seeing. They talk about who they would vote for. They talk about who's got the best shot of sitting next to who and who would beat who. And I guarantee you, they're all talking about Tony winning this game. So that person coming back from the edge is going to fill the heads of everyone but Tony with the Tony is winning this game. So if any of you want to win, I can tell you right now from sitting with all of the jury members for all of this time, Tony's winning. So unless we take Tony out, you're all done. You're just, you're just walking, you're just walking, you know, like dead men right now. So I think that that's the havoc that will be, ah, okay. That will be caused because that person is coming in with all of the knowledge base of what the jury is talking about. It's possible. Um, to me, the only person that that could affect would be Sarah. Oh, but that's, that's what needs to happen. And right. that's why it's going right. to work because Sarah's going to realize this idea that she's had in her head where I want to sit next to the best and I can beat them. She's going to know she can't. And I don't think she would risk it for $2 million. I mean, I know there's this idea that, you know, you want to sit next to the best in order to prove that you're the best part of winning survivor is knowing who you can beat and getting to the final three with those people that shows that you are 
very aware of the dynamics of the game, that you are aware of the people in the game and that you're aware of the jury. So I don't know how you would discount someone coming from the edge saying this is what's happening. And, you know, Tyson will do that. Tyson will just he will plant a lot of seeds. And I feel like he would come in and he would definitely convince the people who matter that need to know Tony's winning. So let's vote him out. And then Mm -hmm. they can take care of whoever came back from the edge of the next vote. Yeah, maybe. All right. So that brings us to the hard part. Um, You know, we've been talking about how Tony feels like a lock with Sarah and Ben. I do think he might consider replacing Ben with Michelle because of the fire making issue. If he starts to worry about that too much, you know, we've seen Mm -hmm. several times this season that somebody will suggest something to Tony. He doesn't do it right away, but it kind of starts sinking in and he does. Mm -hmm. And that was already brought up to him. Fire making. Right. So I don't know. But the real question that we've been talking about, you know, through the last part of this podcast is whether the others will ever turn on Tony. It seems like a lock. He'll get to final four because of his idol. It could come down to someone forcing Sarah and Tony to make fire, or you could be right. And they, he might not get to final four. I don't think he's Uh, going to. Okay. Which is sad. I love Tony Mm -hmm. and he's played a phenomenal game, but I, I do not, see anybody unless he wins immunity this round then Mm -hmm. has his idol next round i don't think he's going to make final four okay um well i I still think he is and (laughs) someone could force the two of them to make fire and if you know whoever wins that is going to win the season um otherwise it it really doesn't seem like those two are going to turn on each other um I, I think Sarah believes she can beat Tony unless someone comes in from the edge and convinces her otherwise. Tony believes he can beat Sarah. And we think he's right. If the two of them both make it, you know, I, I side with Tony. If somehow the others do manage to get rid of Tony, then I think Sarah has it in the bag. Now, if some miracle occurs and the others manage to get rid of Tony and Sarah, uh, you know, and you have a final three of Michelle, Ben, and Denise. I think Denise's woe is me performance in this tribal council is going to sink her. Don't be <gasps> clapping there. I saw uh-uh, no, yes. no, no, no. I think it's going to sink her. And I think Michelle will win in that final three. Um, really? Mm, if, if it gets to that. But my official prediction, as crazy as it would have sounded, if you had told me this before the season began, Tony Vlachos will be the winner of Winners at War. (laughs) Now, listen, I think if Tony won this season, that would be phenomenal. I think Tony is incredible and he has by far played the best game. I think Sarah has done an incredible job as well. But unfortunately for Sarah, she has tied herself to someone who is a little more out there and someone who people see a little bit more and who is winning immunity challenges. I mean, won three immunity challenges. So there's that as well. So I think that for Sarah, that's going to be an issue. If she had played that same game with Sophie, no problem. I think she's, you know, she's winning in, in that, in that circumstance there. So I think Sarah is going to need to see the light. She's going to need to have somebody explain to her the problems with sticking with Tony. And that's why I, this is why the edge makes me insane because this is a a moment. 
one of many reasons where, and we've talked about this before. I, I am not as a, as a prosecutor ever allowed to speak to the jury during my actual like trial. I mean, once they're, once they're there, I mean, I can't talk to them in the hallway. I can't communicate with them at all. It'll cause a mistrial. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And so here we have a group of individuals who is the jury who are hanging out with a person who is coming back into the game, who they will potentially be voting for or against to win $2 million. So that person comes into back into the game with a wealth of knowledge, with all of this information. And what I wouldn't love as, you know, someone who is presenting a case to a jury is to find out exactly what they want from me. You know, like if, if I had a, a person who was on my jury who came to me and said, Hey, by the way, this is the proof you need to win. <laughs> like That would be incredible. And it of course could never happen, but that's what's exactly happening here is you have someone who is on that jury coming back into the game and then can say to Sarah and everyone else, listen, just so y'all know, this is what's happening. Like Tony is winning and this is why Tony's winning. And Tony's going to beat me. He's going to beat you. He's going to beat all of us unless we take him out. And I just, I don't see how Sarah could be so blinded by this duo that she's created or this, you know, cops are us that she would say that's more important than the possibility of me not winning $2 million. I mean, $2 million is a lot of money. And that's, an insane decision. I mean, to say, okay, well, I'm being told this. Will she believe Tyson? I don't know. Maybe she will. Maybe she wouldn't. But I think that that's what's going to happen. I think whoever comes from the edge is going to convince them that Tony needs to go. And even if they keep Sarah out of the loop, they certainly can because there's six people. You only need, you know, if you get four people in on that and the four people, you know, Michelle, Denise, Ben, and whoever's returning, if they're convinced that Tony's right. beating all of them, they don't even need to worry about Sarah. So they could potentially vote out Tony and then you've left, you know, Sarah's still in the game. But then I think after that, I mean, we still have to think about idols because Ben has one. Tony's got one. Oh yeah. I forgot um, ben had one. Yeah. yeah. Ben's got one, but I think that, and whoever's coming back from the edge might have right. an idol as well. So the idols might throw a wrench in the works as well for people. But I think that whoever comes back from edge is going to be able to survive because Tony will be the target and then they will be the target, but they have an idol. Yeah. So they could potentially be saved. All right. So. But here's win. what I, okay. Do you want me to just go through it? My well, yeah, whole, I, I already right. did. Okay. So here's my, so Tony is going to go out first which is then going to leave whoever returns Michelle, Denise and Ben um, who will vote out Tony, whether or not Sarah's involved. I think the next vote is going to be the returnee. And I think that what's going to happen is the returnee will play their idol, even though they've convinced everyone to vote out Tony, they'll still play their idol that first time just to be sure, because they're not going to be certain. I don't think Tony will play his idol because he will, think that everyone is on his side so tony's going to go home with the idol in his pocket and the returnee is going to burn their idol and play it when they don't need to making it to the next vote i think the next vote people will be targeting their returnee ben will play his idol because why not that's the last time he can play it and i do think the returnee will be out of the game which leaves ben michelle denise and sarah 
And I think that Sarah is going to end up going to fire against Ben. Ben will win at fire. And that will be Michelle, Denise and Ben. And, and then Denise guess, will win. Yes, that's. Yeah. Nah. 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 I don't nah. know what's going to happen. Nope. <laughs> well, that would I also be that would also be the most. Want want ending to this season that you could imagine. I mean, not for the person who wins it, obviously. And right. you know, I don't mean to uh, uh, you know say anything bad about any of those three. But when you've had ah, all this going on, all this going on, and then you end up, you know, as I mean, it's the reason that we talk about people voting out the lower level threats from the beginning. But, but I it, honestly it, it don't feel like. That. I don't feel like we've had a whole lot of ah going on this season. I think we've had a whole lot of Tony going on well, this season. Yes. Right. But I, I feel like this has been a season, even though it's been enjoyable and I really, I love the people that are on this season and I've enjoyed watching it. I do feel like we have had a group of people who are very afraid to really fight and play this game hard. You've had Tony doing some very risky things and I feel like he's, kind of the only one that's really done a whole lot of risky things. You've had other people that have done little things here and there that have been risky and still good moves, but people have been very afraid to say names because as soon as you say a name, then they became a target and then they got mm -hmm. voted out. So there's been a lot of, I think, holding back by this group of people playing. And so I, I almost feel like it would make sense that the final three would be not the Tonys of the world because that's not the season we've had. We haven't right. had a season that's been really crazy and a lot of insane things happening and a lot of shocking things happening. I do think that it's been a little more calm and a little more even keeled. And the fact that Tony's made it this far has left us all kind of scratching our heads, but it's because that's the season that's being played is that nobody really wants to to step up and make those moves. And I think Michelle has been trying to explain to people like this is what needs to happen and it's not happening. I do think that Michelle has to her benefit, probably the most people on that jury that like her. I mean, just see how many tokens she's been given when people, you know, get voted right. out, they're giving tokens to her. And I thought that was an interesting point that she made in the tribal council this past time is that the value that she sees in, in that is not what she can buy. She understands that that means these people are kind of on her side. Right. So I think that, you know, Michelle is in a very good position in front of that jury because people just like her. And that's something that she's always had is that that social game that you know we talked about when you know she won her last season was that was part of the reason why she won so i think she's got a lot of that going for her but i do think that i and i know denise was my winner pick but i think that denise has done some really incredible things i mean she, obviously she took out the queen you know right. that was that was a very powerful she's, move yeah she's she's just been nowhere in the edit and i i understand you know? I mean, and I don't normally do that much edit reading, but of those three, if if those three make it to the end, we've seen the most of Ben. I, but I still, I just can't believe Ben wins this season. Mm -hmm. The second most of Michelle, and barely anything of Danny. You mean Denise? Denise, what did I just say, Danny? <laughs> see, see, that's how little we see of her. I keep getting her confused. 
Say but the I wrong love name. Denise. And who knows? Maybe just, maybe it'll be a very powerful three hours that we'll see with Denise doing some incredible things. Yeah. She's my winner pick, and I'm uh-huh. going I for know. it. I'm but supporting her fully. Get, no, but your, yes, yes, yes. We know. I did Come. not have to find a way. Here's the thing. I do think that Ben is in a really, really bad spot with that jury. And I because and again, I'm not trying to read the edit either. But what did he point out? He pointed out the fact that he has yet to get a fire token. He's like, I don't have a whole lot of friends. And I mm-hmm. think that that's something else that we're going to see is that the people who are sitting on that jury aren't going to be voting for Ben because they don't like him as much as they like a Michelle, you know, and, and so I think that that is something that we're going to see happening where votes are going to come down to who do they like more as opposed to necessarily who played a better game. I mean, I think that Michelle and Ben. Sorry, but I I also think that Ben is just going to be seen as Tony's lackey. Oh, I completely agree with that, that he, and I, I feel bad for Ben because I think that Ben came into this season wanting to play a better social game and avoid the Ben bombs because he thought that that was going to help him win is, is if he had a core group of people that he was playing the game with. He got that 100%, but he got it with Tony and Sarah, two Mm -hmm. people who are going to beat him. And so unfortunately, Ben needs those Ben bombs, I think, in order to impress this jury. And he doesn't have that. So while his social game was better because he was able to actually be playing the game with people, he was just playing their game. He wasn't playing his own game. And so I think Ben's going to be in a very, very difficult spot. I I mean, I I guess we see what happens, but if Tony wins... Awesome. I mean, I listen, if any of them, yeah, whoever wins, I think it's going to be, you know, yeah, it'll be great. And I'm impressed with all of them. And I really have enjoyed the season. But it is it is interesting just to see the dynamics of this group. And I mean, if Tony, if Tony gets there, he wins, period. Done. I mean, end of story. There's there's not even a question. I mean, Tony will win. I feel bad that, you know, Sarah would be putting herself in that situation. So maybe she'll maybe that returnee will be that shining light that she needs to realize that Tony's got to go. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's uh, start wrapping up this longest podcast of the season here. Um, <laughs> I do want to encourage everyone to check out the RHAP patron program at Rob has slash patron. As we've mentioned, uh, Rob, you know, donated all of his April subscriptions uh, and is matching that donation. Uh, I think he said on a recent podcast that between the donation of the subscriptions, his match and the donations made in a GoFundMe that he set up, the the RHAP community overall, um, most of which was Rob, but overall uh, is has donated over twenty thousand dollars to direct relief. Um, And so, you, you know, like I said, like we said earlier, he extended it again. So you have until the finale to hurry up and become a patron. Um, once you join, you'll see, you know, all the different things that Rob does for the patrons. There's at least nine patron only call in shows a month, plus a weekly uh, show with Nicole. Uh, you know, several of the podcasts have been live streaming to the patrons and there are discounts and first access to live show tickets whenever those are a thing again. Um, (laughs) You know, in the meantime, there are the Facebook groups to keep you occupied. There's a great community of people there. Uh, You could talk about Survivor, Big Brother, Amazing Race when that comes back on, whatever, Uh, or just life in general. Uh, So, again, remember, go to robhaswebsite.com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say hello. 
Yes. And you should definitely join. It is an incredible group of people who love all the same things that you love. So it is a wonderful group to be communicating with about all things Survivor and any other programs that you love to watch. And also you should follow both David and I on Twitter. I'm at Jessica Lewis 89 and David is at David Bloomberg. You should follow both of us to get both sides of the story. And we do live tweet warning, spoiler alert during the episodes themselves. So you can always look out for that. And we do tweet also throughout the week. So again, it is at Jessica Lewis 89 and at David Bloomberg. All right. We have to come up. uh, Speaking of Twitter, we have to come up with a hashtag. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Boy, I don't know. either. You know what? People just hashtag who you think is going to win. So if you think Ah. it's going to be Tony, hashtag Tony wins. If you think it's going to be Denise, uh, hashtag Denise wins. And so Denise wins. Come on, Denise wins. Don't do that. Nobody (laughs) hashtag Denise wins. She doesn't need any, you know, more. Come on. I need to use my sign again. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Um, (laughs) So yeah, just hashtag uh, whoever you think is going to win. And of course, hashtag YX lost. That's perfect. Uh, Make sure you are subscribed to all the RHAP Survivor podcasts at robhasapodcast.com slash Survivor or on your favorite podcatcher. We are also on the reality TV wrap-ups feed. In both places, you'll find great content like the Know-It-Alls, the Wiggle Room, the B&B, This Week in Survivor, and much more. And of course, remember, send in your questions uh, now or right after the finale for the Q&A show. And we also want to say thank you so much to Scott St. Pierre, who does all of the editing, both the audio and video. So you have options now. If you would like to see David Bloomberg and his spy nest and spy couch, you have an opportunity to do so. Or you can just listen and be completely confused because you'll have no idea what David Bloomberg is up to. So That's thank like you. Jessica often has no idea what I'm up to. Yeah, I know you don't even tell me. I just I know. surprised. It's so much fun. So, yeah. So thank you, Scott, so much for all of the editing. And also thank you to Will from America for the incredible theme song that you do here on the audio portion. Not so much on the video, but thank you. It is a great song and we appreciate that so much. So thank you, Will from America for that. And oh. thanks, David, for listening and tolerating my predictions and the fact that I made it work for my winner pick who's still in the game. Thank you oh, very much. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Just saying. That's how you want to end this podcast. <laughs> huh? Well, Listen, fine. You know what? Then I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to get up you're, and leave here. I'm you're going to go in your little, my, uh, my, my, uh, spy nest here. Your spy nest. So you can watch my winner win season 40 of this season of all winners bye (laughs) if you lost survivor and you're feeling down david and jessica will turn it around they'll break down the rules and they'll show you how you played yourself and got voted out this is why blank lost and this is why blank lost baby this is why blank lost With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.